This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Rob Gurth, Director of Marketing and Communications for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is September 21st, 2020, and we're talking with Georgette Phillips, Dean of the College of Business. The Dean's research and teaching is focused on the intersection of law, economics, and public policy within the context of the built environment. She has published in the areas of urban and regional planning, local government law, real estate, and housing. And it's really the commercial real estate part of your experience, Dean, that brings us together here today. Welcome. Thanks so much, Rob. I'm just so happy to do this. We talked about it, and you came up with this kind of cool idea of the problems that happened in the, in the early 90s and the 2007 to 2009, what we call the Great uh, Recession, that there's some parallels there. And I was like, oh, well, do tell. And that's how we ended up here today. So Yeah. Me- you know, Rob, if you remember, the original conversation um, began with me saying, you know, being in real estate, I tend not to panic a lot because <laughs> yes, that's right. part, of, part of what we do is we go through these cycles and we know that things always come back. And so we were a little bit more sanguine about, about the, uh, the issues. Tell me where you were during the, the previous downturns. Very interesting question because I, I got to see the downturns from very different vantage points. In the 90s, I was still doing deals. I was actively closing deals. And at the peak, I was closing, oh, a deal a week easily in mainly office, um, some retail. And I took maternity leave, came back after my son was born, and there were no deals. I was, it was almost like someone had turned off the lights and walked away. And I thought, what is going on here? Then in 2007, 2008, 2009, I was in academia and I got to see that recession from the vantage point of a more scholarly looking at the underlying causes, not having the direct effect on, on what I was doing. And so, you know, both vantage points allowed me to, to really experience what it is to be resilient in the middle of an economic recession. Now, you say in your business, you're, you're sanguine about the, uh, the, the pressures and the changes and everything's going to go back. But what, during that time, during those times, what was the general outlook? Was it bleak like it is today? Yeah, as a matter of fact. I can remember in the 90s when we were just all kind of looking at each other going, well, (laughs) what's next? And we had a slogan, which was stay alive till 95. (laughs) That if if we could make it until 95, if we could keep the businesses going until 95, um, things were going to be okay. And guess what? They were. Things, Things turned out fine. Was there, the, was there in either case, was there any kind of denial that's going on? Like we have denial today and, you know, I'm not trying to make it political. It's just some people think it's a crisis. Some people think it's not a crisis. Was that the same back then that, that some people were like, no, this isn't so bad? Oh, we all knew that it was a crisis, but it, we came at it from very different vantage points than we are today. Because both in the 90s and in the 2000s, 
they were underlying business issues that caused the recession. Uh, today, there, the pandemic was, was the cause of the recession, not the underlying business um, dealings. And so there were no deniers that there were some, some fundamental things that had to be solved, market-driven problems that had to be solved. And for each of these um, recessions, both in the 90s and in the 2000s, the underlying problems were resolved. Now, ironically, as we can probably touch on later if you like, the resolutions that happened from the 90s subsequently caused what happened in 2000. But each of them had an economic um, problem that was solved with an economic solution. Can you give the, the basics of what the, what the causes were? In both cases, it was over lending and exposure to risk. So in the 90s, there was a lot of building <laughs> that, that took place that I, you know, again, I can remember with some of these closings that, that we, I was doing, I would look at this going, wow, how is this ever going to work? These rent rolls are, let's use the word interesting. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say falsified. Let, I'm just, let's just call them interesting. <laughs> Um, and how is this going to work? And, and I remember when I came back, there were several loans that I had very recently closed that had never made a payment. They mm -hmm. never made a payment. Wow. And so there were all of this, these bad loans just sitting out there. And the, the lenders were burdened with, with this debt that was uncollectible. And so that turned into the CMBS market the um, commercial mortgage-backed security market, which tranched debt, which allowed the lenders to now choose their risk profile for their debt. Instead of doing whole loans, maybe I'll only buy the top part, maybe I'll buy the middle tranche, whatever it was, it segmented risk. And then what about in the, in the 2018 or 2008 period, as far as uh, how things came back? What was, what was the secret to that? Well, it's interesting because it was the same root cause, right? <laughs> um, over lending. There, were, there was just too much money out there that was based on rather um, dubious um, income statements. And, but in this case, it was a residential market. It wasn't, it wasn't the commercial market so much. It was the residential market. And the residential market blew up because when interest rates rose, people were unable to refinance their debt. And when they couldn't refinance their debt, they defaulted. What happened? We had all of these lenders who were sitting on a lot of loans. Now, ironically, one thing that played into the recession in the 2000s and the, the blow up in the 2000s was the advent of a risk segmented market. So it was the rise of, of synthetic products such as CDOs, collateralized debt obligations, that took the bottom piece of a deal and spun it off and resold it and repackaged it as a AAA obligation. And that's really what blew up the market. The linchpin between both of these, besides the... the exuberant lending that took place was the resolution of the crisis in the 90s 
which then led to the crisis in the 2000s was the advent of massive computing power. None of this, you know, we couldn't have solved the 90s. The CMBS market would not exist if we didn't have the advent of, of exploding computing power, which then led to the Wall Street versus Main Street lending practices that took place that led to the 2008 recession. And the computing power was used to make deals. Is that where then so many deals could be made that was it was historic as far as the number of is, is that what the computer power did? No, it allowed you to um, do what's known as tranching. Tranche is um, French for slice. So instead of whole loan lending, which is the traditional, you, you go to a lender, you take out a, a mortgage for the whole amount, and the lender carries that debt on its books. What we were able to do now with the advent of massive computing power is we were able to slice and dice each individual loan and then sell that as a piece according to an investor's risk profile. So people who had a higher risk profile would buy the lower tranches of the deal. The people that had a higher risk profile um, or a lower risk profile would buy the more secure, the top ends of the deal. And so uh, during that time, during both of those times, there's, and now, and now as well, there's arguments over stimulus and what should be the financial stimulus, like whether, how much you should give and, and how much, uh, you know, what's the limit and how long it should happen was, I assume that was the same during those times as well, that that's something people argued about. Oh, absolutely. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. The government had a role to play in many, many um, ways. One thing it can't do today that it was able to do in, in prior, prior recessions was um, affect the, the lower the interest rate. I mean, we can't can't get much lower now. So low already, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's not really a tool available for for this for this economic recession. But in both cases, government intervention was absolutely necessary. Now, what can the government do now? You, you see, um, there is some government intervention, but on a far more fragmented and less federally oriented perspective, which are things like um, rent moratoriums, that if you are unable to, to pay your rent and you fall into a certain category, you can't be evicted. Okay. Um, the um, ability to forestall payment on your loans. And this is not debt forgiveness for your mortgage. I mean, you still have to make it up. But if you, because you've lost your, your job, you can't pay your home mortgage. But this is really just for the, for the homeowners. Right. What about on the bigger scale? Is, are there any tools? Is, is, have you seen anything that people are talking about that's like, you know, similar to the stimulus package that the bank's got? No, I haven't. And it's kind of scary. Um, one of the largest retail REITs is in really big trouble right now. They defaulted on a loan payment um, back in July, I believe. And the special servicer on this, on this REIT has been able to make um, interest payments to the bondholders from money it held back in, in prior, prior months but that money's running out. So this will be very, very interesting to watch. It feels like everybody's focused on the, 
the COVID-19 part of it, the disease part of it, right. uh, and not focused on what's with what's going to be the outcome, you know, what the effects, what else it's affecting. Like, you, you know, you look at things like what, what people say to me, what I've heard people say is the pandemic is speeding everything up. So everything bad that was going to happen is happening faster, like shifting to e-commerce or, right. or department stores going out of business or buying all your food, uh, shopping, doing it all online, or even transitioning to working remotely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, is there, is there, were they, were they these kind of predictions that experts were making back in the, in the nineties and in the 2007, 2008, were they predicting those same kinds of things? Was it speeding things up as well? Well, it did speed things up in terms of the way that mortgage debt was issued. It sped things up in the homogenization of loan product. It used to be that on a commercial deal, it was unique to that property. I mean, you could really do a lot of, of and do a lot of wheeling and dealing and, and changing of the loan documents. Now, no, your, your documents are pretty homogenized um, across the board. What is interesting about this recession is that it wasn't caused by real estate, but real right. estate is taking the brunt. And the reason real estate's taking the brunt I mean, not just real estate. There are so many sectors that are taking the brunt. But the way that we are, we are taking the brunt in real estate are lifestyle changes. So, you know, you remember what happened to newspapers when things started to go digital. A lot of newspapers are out of business now. But the newspapers that pivoted, that embraced technology, that embraced new ways of interacting. I think the New York Times is probably the best example here, but the Washington Post, clearly the Los Angeles Times, um, they are more than just that, that newspaper that's delivered every morning. They get you soup to nuts. I mean, how many times have we gone to the New York Times cooking app? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's still the New York Times. But now it's my cooking app. And I think that in real estate, we have to start thinking about these lifestyle changes and, and what does this mean? I am still confident in the market. I'm confident in both the retail and in the office market. I'm a little bit more confident in office than in retail. But the reason I'm so confident is that we just have to adapt. We just have to find where things are going. Not necessarily that it's going away forever, but how can we harness the change that's occurring? So when you talk about the office market, instead of leasing, you know, X square feet for 15 years, 20 years, whatever, whatever it may be, is there a partnership that, that occurs between the tenant and the landlord in terms of, you know, redoing the office space and, and thinking about the, the tenant not having x square feet in use every day i think that that's one of the big changes that's going to happen we're going back to work we are definitely going back to work do you think I that, that we're going back to work every day in the same way do you think that just uh, hold on to that bef before we come to working from home because i want to touch on that but before we get there do you think there's going to be like seller's remorse at the other side of this when amazon has bought up all the malls and all the office buildings to <laughs> <laughs> to make for their centers or for their people, office people, uh, that people will be like, geez, I wish I hadn't sold all my buildings to those people. I, I don't know if there's, there's going to be any remorse because remember you, you said something earlier that I'd like to come back to. 
we are seeing an acceleration of things that were already in progress. Mm-hmm. Malls were already suffering from the effects of e-commerce. So how can we think about using that space as more of a community space? You know, the advent of community malls was in direct response to the rise in e-commerce. You're not going to the mall now for a pair of jeans. You're going to the mall for an experience. And, oh, and by the way, if you need a pair of jeans, you can do that too. Well, t- speaking of going somewhere for the experience, how do you like how do you like working from home? Mm, I miss my coworkers. I know. I, do. I know. I know. Um, I miss the interaction with the students. Oh my gosh, it's um, it's why we do what we do, right? Right. It's a lot of energy in those hallways. Yeah, I mean, Lehigh has such wonderful students and, and things that we used to do, like we started every semester with donuts with the dean mm. and couldn't do that. All of the symposia that we, that we have, that we bring the industry leaders and the students together, we can't do that. I, I really do miss that face-to-face interaction. But being an academic, you know, I worked from home a lot more when I, before I became Dean, because I did all of my research at home. Right. So I, you know, other than my, my Dean position, I worked at home a lot already. So yes, I do. I miss the student interaction. I miss my coworkers. I miss the things that we're able to do that we can only do in a group. Everybody seems to be talking about working from home, but some of the surveys say that most people plan to, the majority of people plan to go back to the office. So right, right, so, and be, because we're 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 social beings. Human beings like being around other human beings. And it's funny and, that the whole working, you know, the whole remote working was a thing, and uh, IBM was doing it, and Yahoo was doing it, and now and and now it's kind of reversed where they where they actually were calling people back in the last five years. Yahoo had said, you know, no, we're not having people work from home anymore. It's not working out. Same with IBM. Uh, they said they were missing all that interaction you get in the hallways. Right. Uh, and now it's like, oh, no, we're all working from home again. Well, here's the difficulty in working from home. Culture. That as a manager or as an organization, we work very, very hard in creating a culture of work, a culture of support, culture of inclusivity, you know, all of these things that we hold very near and dear to our mission that just you you can't do if you're, if you're online, you know, especially with somebody who's new, somebody who hasn't lived in the culture and then you hire them online. They never meet anybody, you know, face to face. It becomes far more transactional. And that's not the type of culture, at least that, that we try to create at, at Lehigh Business. Talk to me a little bit about agglomeration. That's a word I learned when all this started happening. <laughs> agglomeration is the idea that there is a synergy that is created with co-location. So that's why you get places like Silicon Valley. 
it's not just that the tech companies are there. It's that the add-ons from the tech company and then the third and the fourth order companies are also there. So from the middle of the circle, you have the tech companies, you have the knowledge transfer, you go out, you meet somebody, you learn more. It's the chance meetings that we were talking about that you don't get if you're a work from home. But then you go out from that and you need a worker. You need somebody that has this specific skill. skill. In that type of environment, it's a very deep pool that you have to choose from. Likewise, if I'm looking for a job, I have a number of employers, not just one or two, to choose from. And so that draws other people, draws other people. And then you get out to the service providers. And one of my favorite examples is the people that make radios for cars were located in Detroit, just like the car manufacturers were located in Detroit. Mm. Why? Because that's where they sold their goods. Um, Lawyers. If you are a lawyer in Silicon Valley, you have your pick of companies that you can establish a very niche practice. I don't know what's going to happen with this whole theory of agglomeration economies because it is so deeply rooted in our economic system. I mean, it's not just Silicon Valley. It's, It's why cities grow to begin with. That's why we have cities because of the co-location and, and the, the advantages of co-location. It will be interesting to watch in the future. It's definitely somebody's uh, thesis, that's for sure. Yes, yes. Well, there's, oh, there's a lot of work that's, that's, being, <laughs> yes. that's being done on this. A, a number of, a number of, of, of scholars are, are very deeply into this. You know, urban economists are all over this. Let me ask you this. Is there, is there a difference now from your perspective or, or what is the difference of, of an economic crisis caused by poor decisions that businesses made uh, compared to one that's caused by a pandemic? The solution. Ah, tell me how. Well, when we made bad, bad, quote, bad, quote unquote, business decisions, <laughs> we could stop making those decisions, okay? <laughs> You, you caused a problem. We're going to solve the problem by not making that, that decision anymore and rectifying what went on. When the recession is caused by a pandemic, that's not a business decision. We can't, in the real estate sector, rectify the coronavirus. We just have to sit and wait for it and wait for the, the health officials to figure out how we're going to solve that problem. And then we can get back to what we're doing. That, that's the big difference in my eyes. Now we started out by saying that, that people in real estate are very patient people. Is there, did you, do you have any lessons that you can pass on from, uh, from your perspective as someone who was doing what you were doing in the, in the 90s and in the 2000s uh, that will help, that will calm people's nerves or like, oh, no, here's what I learned that, and, and fill in the blank, uh, that get us back to, you know, back to business or, or weathering the storm as we're trying to. It will work out. It always <laughs> does. The worst recessions that we can ever imagine, it worked out. 
What was the saying? It's you had? hard. Hold on till. Pardon me. What was the saying you had? Hold on till. Oh, stay alive till ninety-five. <laughs> um, you just have to hold on and, and believe. Now you can't keep doing the same old thing and thinking that it's going to. You know, when I say it's going to work out. I think this is perhaps one thing that people are going to have to wrap their arms around. We're not, we're never going to go back to the way it was. It's going to be different, but it's going to be good again. You know, it, it will happen. You just have to have the faith that today is not the way that we're going to, to live for the rest of our lives. That is a perfect place to end. Thank you, Georgette, for, for talking to us today. My pleasure. I've been talking to Dean Georgette Phillips, the Kevin L. and Lisa A. Clayton Dean of the College of Business. She's a professor in both the Perella Department of Finance in the College of Business and the Africana Studies Program in the College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh Business thought leaders, please visit us at business.com lehigh.edu slash news. Follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. Thanks for listening.